The New Orleans Saints have a major question to answer in terms of who will be the starter at defensive end opposite Cam Jordan. But the good news is that they actually have quite a few of potential answers. We got all that and a little bit of land yet for you on today's episode of Locked on Saints. You are Locked on Saints, your daily New Orleans Saints podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is good, Houdat Nation and Houdat family? Welcome into another episode of Locked on Saints, your daily podcast covering your favorite team, the New Orleans Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks so much, as always, for making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day every day. Don't forget, you can subscribe and follow for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a daily episode. And of course, you can head over to joinsubtext.com slash Locked on Saints today to continue the conversation with me one-on-one. And of course, I am your host, Ross Jackson, at Ross Jackson. Nola on Twitter, your New Orleans Saints expert, credential member of the media, senior writer and reporter over at Saints News Network, Sports Illustrated's fan nation site covering the New Orleans Saints. And of course, you can find me every Tuesday over on the Locked on NFL podcast and here with you every single Monday through Friday and then some on Locked on Saints. In today's episode, it's Thursday, so we're getting into our next bout of um, uh, uh, position competition, right? The the big camp competitions and things like that, camp battles. And uh, we're taking a look at the edge rusher spot opposite Cam Jordan. Last week on Thursday, we broke down the CB2 battle between Alante Taylor and uh, Paul Sinadibo. This time, we've got a lot of options to look at for the New Orleans Saints. So we'll get to two potential X factors that can become difference makers to wrap up the show. Before that, though, we'll take a look at Isaiah Foskey and what his long-term growth can look like. But I want to start off with Carl Granderson first. Now remember, Cam Jordan, of course, is the leader of this unit, but Cam Jordan needs someone operating outside on the opposite side of him. And my belief is that at least at the beginning of the season, Carl Granderson is the best choice for the New Orleans Saints at edge rusher opposite Cam Jordan. For now, we're going to assume that they don't bring in a veteran free agent. There are edge rushers that make sense in veteran free agency, but for the sake of this conversation, we're going to focus on the guys that are on the roster. That's why I want to start with Carl Granderson, because I do think that Carl Granderson is the best option opposite Cam Jordan, at least to start off the year. Let's break down why. And it really comes down to two different things. We're going to call them point A and point B, just because I feel like using the letters today. Point A is that he's a stout enough edge rusher, especially with what you've seen over the course of the end of 2022. If he can carry that momentum into the beginning of 2023, that would be a big deal for the New Orleans Saints defensive line, who usually struggles a little bit to get after the passer early in the seasons, but usually ends up creeping up. Saints had 48 sacks last season. They were in, you know, near the top of the NFL. Well, not near the top of the NFL because the Philadelphia Eagles ran away with number one with 70 sacks, but you know what I mean. They were in that uh, they were in the upper echelon of a sack getting team, sack making teams. Point B, though, is that he's also, and hear me out, perhaps your team's best run stopper on the defensive line. Now, that's a, there's there's a conversation to be had in terms of him and Car- uh, him and Cam Jordan, of course, but Carl Granderson has been fantastic against the run throughout his career, and especially last year. Let's circle back to the run defense stuff. Let's start with the exciting stuff first, which gets us a look at the edge rushing uh, productivity 
for Carl Granderson. So he had four sacks over the course of the last four games last season, or we can call it the last, uh, yeah, let's call it four games, four sacks over the last four games last season. Very effective during that time is effectively the reason that Marcus Davenport lost starts. Cam, uh, uh, Carl Granderson started the last three games while Marcus Davenport, you know, kind of rotated in and things like that. And we have to consider that before Isaiah Foskey was ever a factor in the New Orleans Saints decision this offseason, because there was no guarantee that they were going to walk away with Isaiah Foskey, even though he was a target for them in this year's draft. When free agency opened up and the New Orleans Saints made the decision not to re-sign Marcus Davenport, you can't make that decision based upon what you think your draft board is going to fall like, because there's no guarantee there, which means you have to be making that decision knowing what you've already got. And so I believe that not only Carl Granderson, but also Tana Passanio were a big part of that decision. Peyton Turner's in there too, but in terms of what we have seen production-wise, Carl Granderson, absolutely a big part of why Marcus Davenport did not return to the New Orleans Saints and is now a Minnesota Viking. If you want to hear more about how Marcus Davenport is doing for any reason or by any chance, Luke Braun over at Locked on Vikings just did a great episode about him being unseen for so long, but no longer being able to be missed. It was actually a really good piece. So go and check that out if you get the time. Um, but I want to just take a look at in you know relative to the NFL, when it comes to uh, defensive ends that have played at least 200 passing sna- uh, pass rushing snaps back in 2022, where does Carl Granderson rank in some of the advanced analytics that kind of help us tell the story here? So the interesting thing is that like his pass rush win rate is not Excellent, right? It's 11.5%, but it was one of the best for the Saints uh, on their team last year. It's better than what Cam Jordan did last year. Um, I believe it's, yeah, it's better than what Tano uh, Passanio did last year. It's better than what Peyton Turner did in his snaps last year. The only person, the, the leader in terms of pass rush win rate last year for the Saints was uh, Marcus Davenport. But the thing to, to keep in mind when it comes to pass rush win rate, or when you're looking at things like pass rush productivity, which is a pro football focus bred. Uh, analytic is that it, it treats and weights sacks, hurries, and hits differently. So two players might have rushed the passer 300 times and totaled 30 pass rushing snaps, but the one that's got 10 sacks, 10 hurries, and 10 pressures is going to grade out better than the one that's got two sacks, eight hurries, and 20 pressures, for instance. So it's just a, or 20 uh, hurries, my bad. And so it just has a little bit of a different weight. So you can see that for uh, Carl Granderson, who had 22 total pressures last season, uh, Pro Football Focus credits eight of those as being sacks. And remember, they count half sacks as full sacks over at Pro Football Focus. The real number, the NFL number, is five and a half. But that's still really good for a guy that really didn't get much opportunity until later on in the season. And that's where you kind of have to look at Carl Granderson and go, okay, so there's a chance for a guy like this. Because if you pay attention to the trajectory of his season, as he got more opportunities, he piled on more pressures. So he only totaled 480 snaps in total. In, in, in the entirety of the defense uh, last year. And 257 of those were considered pass rushing snaps, according to Pro Football Focus. But in toward the end of, or at the beginning of the season, you've got zero pressures, zero pressures, one pressure, zero pressures, zero pressures. But then you get toward the end of the season, four, three, one, two, five, four. I mean, it really piled on. So as he got more opportunities, he produced at a higher level. So that's something that we have to keep in mind. The other thing is that you have to remove things like screen passes and boot actions and stuff like that if you want a real idea of what it's like when he goes up against true pass sets. And when you do that, that takes his pass rush win rate from 11.5% to 18.8%. That's a big jump. And his pass rush productivity grade goes from 6.1 
up to 9.8. So six of his eight sacks that that pro football focus counts, which remember half sacks are counted as full sacks on PFF's grade, came against true pass rushing sets. And that's a big deal because those are opportunities where you actually can get after the passer as opposed to dealing with screen passes and things like that. We also have to quickly mention about Carl Granderson as a run defender, because this is why I think that he gets the early start at the beginning of all this. 84.4 run defense grade by pro football focus. I'll tell you why that's important. Grades are always a little bit shaky, especially in the trenches. Uh, But his 11.6 stop percentage was the best on the Saints roster last season. And if you look across the entire NFL for players that played at least 200 run defense snaps, he was the second high, excuse me, he was the number one highest graded player uh, in the NFL when it came to run defense, three spots ahead of Cam Jordan, who was also top four. So this is why I'm giving him the nod as maybe the top uh, uh, rush uh, run defender on the Saints defensive line. His 11.6% stop percentage was second in the NFL, totaling 24 total stops on just uh, 213 run defense snaps. So that's like an 11.2% stop rate, which is really, really, really good. And you look at his missed tackles, his missed tackle percentage being only 7%, 7%, which is really, really solid as well. So his ability, what he showed you as a as a pass rusher is a big part of it, yes, but his ability as one of the top run defense players on the Saints defensive line where they struggled a ton last year is something that should allow him to get the nod early and often in 2023. But someone will challenge him in the long run for being the edge rusher that finishes with the second most snaps behind Cam Jordan. And that player is Isaiah Foskey. What's the sort of long-term growth plan for Isaiah Foskey and how can we see that develop over the course of 17 games in 2023? Got that coming up for you as we continue on with today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's episode of Locked on Saints is brought to you by America's number one sportsbook. Yeah, it's FanDuel, our good friends here on the Locked on Podcast Network. We don't love anything more than we love FanDuel over here. And there's a good reason why, because if you're ready to take your first swing over at FanDuel, you're going to be able to get 10 times your first bet back in bonus bets up to $200. Woof. So let me explain. That means that if you put down 20 bucks on your first bet over at FanDuel, you're going to get $200 back in bonus bets, win or lose. You ain't even got to win the first bet. You can put $20 down on something, end up not going your way, and you still win money. You still come out $180 richer in bonus bets. So you're going to want to go check that out today. That's $200 then that you can spend on everything from the money line to over, under, to who you think is going to get the first home run, NFL odds. MLB odds all over the place, so much that you can get in on, all on an app that's safe, secure, super easy to use, and that pays you out instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB odds right now than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. So sign up today over at FanDuel.com slash locked on to get that $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, family, continuing on with today's episode of Locked on Saints. Thanks again, as always, making Locked on Saints your first listen of the day, every day for all you everydayers out there. We're back with you tomorrow for another great episode of Locked on Saints, getting you caught up on everything you need to know in our weekly installment of In Case You Missed It. I'm also going to take a look at a couple of other spots on the New Orleans Saints roster where it might be not necessarily a position battle, but where things could potentially be shaken up. So we're going to do a little bit of a Friday shakeup uh, on our roster tomorrow. So we're going to dive into that 
And of course, if you want further in-depth analysis on these position battles, Alante Taylor, Paulson, Adibo's one is already done. But we will also have a film study around Isaiah Foskey, a film study around Carl Granderson, all that, which you can get access to over at joinsubtext.com slash locked on saints. Trying to find some ways to make sure that folks who are looking for ways to help support the show are actually getting something back. And film study felt like a good thing to do since I can't use game video on here. I have other ways that I can do it. So join subtext.com slash locked on saints if you want to start getting in on the film study. It's going to have a lot of fun uh, with those. All right. So let's take a look at Isaiah Foskey here just from a statistics standpoint. And really what we're looking at is what is his long-term growth? What is the plan for Isaiah Foskey? And how does the first year of his of his career impact what that is? You know, because we have to think about like everyone has a bit of a a different way that they arrive, right? Uh, Carl Granison was an undrafted guy back in 2019 because of some legal issues that dropped him out of the draft entirely, despite the fact that he had like 12 sacks, 24 tackles for a loss over the course of his final two years at, at Wyoming. Um, Carl Granison, I mean, not, not Carl Granison, sorry. Um, Cam Jordan was drafted in the first round, but then got only one sack his entire first year. He was brought in as a little bit more of a run defender as opposed to a, an edge rusher and a pressure player. And I can see something similar to that being the truth for Isaiah Foskey, at least early. Um, Isaiah Foskey is a player that has remarkable tools, remarkable tools, incredible physical things that you just can't teach and has been massively productive during his time uh, at Notre Dame. And if he ends up working with a team like the New Orleans Saints, who should be very strong in coverage on the back end, allowing that clock to tick a little bit longer for the opposing quarterbacks, which gives players with a motor opportunities to get after the quarterback, Isaiah Fossey is going to benefit from that. He didn't have a pass rush win rate or a pass rush productivity grade that blows you out of the water when it comes to the rest of the FBS. Uh, he was, in terms of uh, overall pass rush win rate, uh, compared to all FBS edge rushers that played over 200 rush, uh, pass rushing snaps in 2022, ended up in the top quarter. But the top quarter of that means that he was like in the 70s when it came to some when it came to a, a ranking that had more than 200 plus players on it. Then you look at sort of his grade within the like true pass rushing sets. And he ends up landing 91 out of 199. So he's in the upper half of that. Not bad. And remember, we were just celebrating Carl Granderson for his true pass sets, which removes things like screens and bootleg actions and sometimes play actions, things like that, to where maybe you get left unblocked and therefore that pressure is kind of here nor there. Or, you know, you react to the screen and so it turns from a pass rushing snap into a coverage snap, things like that. So there's true pass rushing snaps. We were celebrating Carl Granderson because his win rate goes up from 11 point whatever it was, 11.2 or whatever, up to 18.8. Well, Isaiah Foskey's was 18.9 last year, as well as his uh, pass rush productivity grade uh, jumping up to 13.7, which is a really, really good uh, number considering how much he was able to produce in those sets. He ended up putting up a total of 20 different pressures, including nine sacks and 10 hurries, as well as one QB hit on those reps. And that's including numbers where he ended with 12 sacks total, 18 pressures and 18 hurries and three QB hits. So you can see that he gets the majority of the job done, not in situations that are unique or specific or that he will allow you to get a free run at the quarterback or anything like that. Like he does it the old fashioned way by beating the guy in front of him, by beating the offensive lineman in front of him. And that's such a big piece to what it is that Isaiah Foskey will be able to 
contribute. But before he can start to contribute any of that, he's got to be able to prove himself a bit more uh, as a run defender. So as a run defender, he graded out not particularly well. 67.8 was his run defense grade on Pro Football Focus, but that ended up getting tanked a little bit because he had four different penalties called against him and also one of them um, uh, declined. And so that ends up tanking your grade in that area of the game a bit. But, you know, his his run stop percentage was just 6.7, which is the metric at seven. It puts him 76th amongst 200 plus players. So he ends up being in the top quarter there uh, as well. And he ends up with uh, a total of, of, of 15 defensive stops. So when you consider sort of where he was at in terms of how often he gets the opportunity to uh, impact the game and things like that from that spot. That wasn't really the thing that they asked him to do very much. But there were a lot of times where he was rushing from a two-point stance or, you know, his his job was just to pin his ear back, ears back and go after the quarterback. That's what he did so incredibly well. He is the career leader in sacks for the Notre Dame franchise, Notre Dame school uh, as, as a whole, their history. And so that was his role. But you could see that there were still times where he was very effective in the run game. 13 and a half tackles for a loss is not something to just ignore, but they definitely want to see him continue to grow there. The Saints absolutely want to see him grow as a run defender because that gives him more opportunity. That gets him out on the field more. That's why when we spoke to him during rookie minis, he talked about how he is learning a new position. He's learning 4i. So 4i is basically lining up over the inside shoulder of a uh, of your the opposing tackle, whatever whatever side you're on. That's a quintessential run stopping position. That's you being able to you know stop some of maybe those power runs and things like that that go in between the guard and tackle. That aligns you to be able to take an interior uh, push as opposed to an as opposed to a push around the edge, which gets you more involved in the inside run game and things like that. So that's what they're trying to teach him. Doesn't mean that that's going to be his role solely or specifically, but it just gives you an idea of where it is that the Saints are trying to bolster his preseason sort of growth, and that is first in the run game. And if he can show that he can grow that way in the run game, then all of a sudden, it's not going to be easy to keep him off the field. And then once he's on the field, because you know that he's not a liability in the run game, then he also gets the pass rushing snaps. He also gets, you know, the first and second down snaps and then eventually starts staying on the field on third down, things like that. Don't be surprised to see Isaiah Foskey out snap everyone but Cam Jordan by the end of the season if he can show that he can be a viable run defender at the next level. And again, he was no pushover in that category in 2022 or during his time at Notre Dame. Um, but you just want to know, can he do it at the next level? And so if he's able to prove that, then I wouldn't be surprised to see, although Carl Granison should get the early nod, him getting more and more and more snaps all throughout the season and watching that trajectory go up. Uh, if you can get four or five sacks out of this guy in his first season, that's really, really good. I mean, that's outstanding. And then if you're getting Carl Granderson out on the field more, and as we've seen, the more that he's out on the field, the more impactful he can be, which was what we saw toward the end of the season last year, then maybe you're looking at him to continue to move up. He's moved up every almost every year when it comes to his sack numbers. And you can look at an easy sort of boost or jump that he could take from five and a half from last year up to, let's say, seven or eight this year, maybe, hopefully more. But the biggest key to all this, too, is that as those players begin to win opposite Cam Jordan, it starts freeing up Cam a little bit more as well so that he can be all the more impactful. Like having a good, solid edge rusher on one side benefits the other side, no matter who that other guy is. 
as well. So teams are, or players are going to have to be able to win their one-on-one matchups. But if somebody starts doing that away from Cam Jordan for a change, then all of a sudden Cam Jordan becomes a little bit more unlocked as well. And there are two guys that might be able to help contribute to that. They can go from X factor to dis- to difference maker very, very quickly. That's Tano Passanio and potentially even Peyton Turner, because I don't want to leave him out of this conversation either. How can they contribute and what should we expect to see from them in 2023? Got that coming up for you as we continue on and wrap up today's episode of Locked on Saints, part of Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Let's get it. Who that nation wrap it up today's episode of Locked on Saints. The look at two X factors that can become difference makers for the New Orleans Saints. The ever underrated Tono Passanio, as well as the third year, still waiting for him to turn the corner, Peyton Turner. If both of these players find specific impact throughout a quarter of the season, the New Orleans Saints defensive line is in a really, really good spot. And I mean, I'm talking top of the NFL, not top of the NFL, but near the top of the NFL again and sacks, and getting back to being you know that feared team when it comes to the run-stop game. Now, that's going to be a little bit more about the defensive interior, which is where the Saints were a little bit weak last year, continuously moved off the line of scrimmage, all those other things. You have to be able to win at the line of scrimmage. But if you get Peyton Turner and Tano Passanio, guys that can play both inside and out, though they very much see Peyton Turner as an, as an edge rusher, as a defensive end, um, and they're producing at a moderate level in being rotating players, rotational players, that means that your starters are probably doing an excellent job as well. Because you're not turning to these guys where you kind of go, okay, well, we need to spice it up. We need to shake it up, which you kind of saw a little bit last year, uh, particularly when it came to Peyton Turner. But instead, if they're just you know model citizens in terms of like the rotation and continuing to contribute, then the New Orleans Saints defensive line is operating at a next level. And that, that would be a big deal for them, especially after sort of having a a weak year on the defensive line last year, or let's say a down year on the defensive line last year. Now, we have to keep in perspective, right? This is a team that was 24th in the NFL against the run, but was still a top 10 scoring defense, a top 10 total yardage defense, all of those other things. So, you know, if you can stop the pass, you can keep points off the board, right? This defense that was 24th in the NFL against the run also didn't allow more than 20 points in the last eight games of the season. That hasn't happened since Dome Patrol days. And they managed to do that while still being 24th against the run. So it's okay to be a little bit weak against the run. It, it's not a huge deal, especially if you're off, especially if you have an offense that's actually putting points on the board for a change, then all of a sudden you're eliminating their option to the run game because of what you're doing over on the offensive side. So your offense becomes your best run defense if you can put points on the board, because then teams can't just run the ball because they need to put points on the board and running the ball does not put points on the board at as efficient a manner or as quickly as the pass game does. So here's where Tonal Passanio can have a big impact for the New Orleans Saints. Um, 16 total pressures last year on just 198 pass rushing snaps. He only had an 8% win rate in, in all told, right? All told against that, that includes screens and, you know, uh, rollouts and all those other things. If you look at the true pass rushing sets, which are which eliminate those plays, 12 total pressures, four sacks, again, half sacks count as full for pro football focus but also an 11.4% win percentage. That was fourth best on the team last year. That's pretty solid. And I think that's where a guy like Tono Passanio can end up having and making a major difference for you, is can he be the guy that you can come in and say, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna rotate Tono in and have him go uh, in, in place of, you know, uh, maybe go in place of Cam Jordan for a snap or go in place of Carl Granison for a snap opposite Cam Jordan. And if he can still give you 
some of those pressures, if he can still give you uh, some of the things that you need from him, then that's a, an even exchange for you. And you'll take that in a rotational player. Tono Passanio has been somebody that has been pretty stout for a while. Like I'm looking over his stats right now. 28 sacks last year, or 28 tackles last year, 28 sacks would have been nice, but 28 tackles last year was one shy of his career high. Uh, three tackles for a loss was his uh, second, it was the third time he's hit that mark, and it was the, that's the second highest that he's had. Um, six QB hits following eight QB hits last year, those are second and third on his list in his career. So since he's been here in New Orleans, he's produced well. I mean, his career high for sacks in a single season is four, and he's done that. He did that in 2019 with the Kansas City Chiefs and 2021 with the New Orleans Saints. And then he followed up last year with two more sacks last season. So, and, and if you think about that, like if, if, if Pro Football Focus is counting him for four sacks, then what that must mean is that it was four half sacks that got him those two sacks. So it's four different plays that he was in on a sack, even though it only counts as two, two sacks. So I think that that's the place where I think you can really find the most from Tano Passanio. It's like he can help you in the backfield. Even if he's not getting the sacks by himself, he could be active in the backfield and helping you get things done. Uh, when it comes to the uh, run stop game, things are a little bit shakier for Tano. And the reason why is because of missed tackles. 11 and a half missed tackles, uh, excuse me, 11, 11 and a half missed tackles, 11 and a half missed tackle percentage in the run game on three missed tackles. I remember, we only played 157 run defense snaps. So that's why that number feels so drastic. But I think that that's one of those things where like you take those three missed tackles and you turn them into stops, you go from eight stops, which was fourth on the team at the position to 11 stops. And then that's um, a total of 11 on the seat. So that would be third. Uh, so it move him up a spot. And the other piece is his average depth of tackle. So how far downfield is he making these plays? 3.7 yards downfield. Besides Jabari Zaniga, who only played 11 rushing run defense snaps in 2022, that's the lowest or that's the highest uh, on the Saints defense or, or edge rusher position. So that's a spot where like you want him to maybe be able to impact the run game closer to the line of scrimmage as opposed to further downfield. Maybe that's swollen by him making, you know, one tackle 10 yards downfield or something like that out of the 20, uh, but still something to pay attention to. Carl Granderson, only two yards downfield. Uh, Cam Jordan's average depth of tackle, only 1.6 yards downfield. And this is where the Peyton Turner question comes in to wrap us up here is that Peyton Turner is actually a pretty solid run defender, 1.7 yards in terms of his average depth of tackle. So he's making stops within two yards of the line of scrimmage. That's really good. Um, he had an 8.7 stop percentage on just 71 run defense snaps. So pretty effective. I mean, 71 run defense snaps to finish with 10 tackles, no missed tackles at all is pretty solid. And this is what we know about Peyton Turner is like the issue is just getting him out on the field and keeping him out on the field. The issue is not what he does when he is out on the field. He's very productive. You look at his pass rush win rate, win rate when it comes to true pass sets, uh, 11 total pressures, one sack, one hit, nine hurries, 17.5% win rate. That's the third best on the team when it comes to true pass sets. Um, 15 was his score when it came to pass rush productivity. That was number one on the team in true pass sets. So you can see where having a healthy Peyton Turner can easily help you. Like if that's your third or fourth guy into the rotation and he's producing like that, but staying on the field, then what do you, what, what do, you do against that, right? Like that, that opens up a whole new level of that New Orleans Saints defensive line. So I do think that the Saints have the fodder. They have the material to be very effective at the edge rusher position opposite Cam Jordan. 
The question is, who are the guys that are going to stay on the field? Who are the guys that are going to be healthy? And who are the guys that are going to get the most snaps? I think Isaiah Foskey works his way up there, but I think this all starts with Carl Granderson and then grows out from there, of course, unless the Saints add another veteran. So I do think that they're in good shape as long as they can stay in good shape. That's my evaluation of the Saints edge rusher position. All right, coming up in tomorrow's episode, y'all, because I appreciate you every day or is making us your first listen every single day. We're taking a look at some other spaces where things could get shaken up a bit for the New Orleans Saints. And there's a, a sneaky suspicion, sneaking suspicion that I have that that can happen pretty quickly on the offensive line in particular. So we're going to take a look at that and get you caught up on all the stories around the New Orleans Saints from this week. Appreciate you as always, y'all, for making me a part of your day, part of your routine for saying yes to me and the show. As always, if you see me, say hi. And if you need anything else around your New Orleans Saints, make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ross Jackson, N-O-L-A. Hit me up. Let me know how the family's doing. Let me know how you're living. Let me know how you're mom and them. And trust you, that nation, I'll holla at you.